Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Thanks, Bill. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Feels like I'm still waking up this morning. It's like a kind of a rainy, dreary day, right? So, um, like Bill said, my name's Andrew. If we haven't got a chance to meet yet or you're visiting for the first time, we're super glad you're here and I'd love to connect with you and meet you after the service. But many of you know that over the last number of years, we've offered different things called equipped classes uh, once a month on various different topics that we want everyone to be equipped with uh, and believe are important for spiritual growth. How many of you have ever taken any of those equipped classes? A number of you, maybe about half of you or something. Um, uh, there are, we've offered classes like hearing God's voice, how to pray like Jesus, how to share your faith, how to study the Bible, and a number of others. And they've been wonderful. And I, but one of the challenges has been is really, I know for many of you, just the availability and the accessibility to them can sometimes be challenging. Um, typically being on a Tuesday night, some, some, for lots of you, Tuesday nights don't work for you. Maybe you work Tuesday night or your kids have soccer on Tuesday night or whatever it is, right? Or maybe you, you sign up for a class to take it and you get sick and you can't attend. And then maybe that class isn't offered until like the next year, right? So, so that's one of the challenges we've noticed um, with them over the, over the last number of years. And so we thought we might try something. We're gonna do a little experiment over the next couple of weeks. What we thought is we might take one of those classes and kind of use that content and present it on the weekends and do a series about it. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take one of the classes, maybe my favorite um, called Discovering God's Story. Uh, and use this over the next four weeks. And discovering God's story, the whole idea of this class and this, this is the content is to cover the overarching big picture storyline of the Bible from really beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation and kind of a Cliff Notes version, if you remember Cliff Notes, uh, or uh, to kind of give this like 20,000 foot bird's eye view of how does all this stuff kind of fit together? We're not gonna be able to go through all the details of the Bible, obviously, um, but how does the, the meta narrative, the big picture story all fit together? And I think this is super important. I believe this is super critically important, not just for those who are newer Christians, who maybe you're not as super familiar with the story of the Bible, but for those of you who've maybe been following God for years and years and years. And let me explain why this is important with an analogy. How many of you remember the movie Sleepless in Seattle? A number of years ago. Okay, it came out like 30 years ago, right? And some of you remember the movie. Um, it was a story, it was a total chick flick, like rom-com, like where you have Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, and they keep missing each other the entire movie. They have these like almost chance encounters and they miss each other until the very end of the movie, they meet on Valentine's Day at the top of the Empire State Building for the first time and it's like romantic and they, they leave holding hands and you just know when the movie ends, it's like happily ever after, right? It's like, it's like a cute movie. Well, I remember maybe, maybe 20 years ago, the movie had already been out for almost 10 years. I was flipping through the TV one day. This was before DVR or streaming or things like that where you could rewind things. And I, I just, I was, and this movie was on. 
I'd, I'd never seen the movie before. And I thought, this is kind of a, I know a popular movie or a famous movie. So I watched it for like 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes until I realized I had no idea what's going on. Like I'm somewhere in the middle of the movie. And, and I, so I turned it off. Fast forward the next week, Saturday again, TNT or some channel must have bought the rights to it because they were playing it over again. And I happened to turn on the TV and, I'm watch- and I realized it's on again. And so I watched another like 10 or 15 minutes um, somewhere else in the story, didn't know what was going on. So I stopped because I was like kind of confused. This happened like three or four times. And so eventually I was like, I just need to rent this movie. Like, so, so I, I went to Blockbuster, remember Blockbuster? And, uh, and I rented the movie. I didn't tell my roommates because that wouldn't have been cool, you know, my, my guy roommates. But I watched the movie from beginning to the end and I got to the end and I was upset I was upset, not because it was a bad movie or bad acting or whatever. I was upset because I realized in that moment, I had already seen the entire movie. <laughs> Just completely out of order and, and over a long stretch of time. And so even though I had seen all of the scenes, it really didn't make sense to me until I watched it from beginning to end. Okay, and, and, and why do I tell you that story? Well, here's the connection. I think for most of us, for most of us, that's our experience of the Bible. For most of us, that's how we have experienced the Bible. Out of order, random, spread out over weeks, years at a time, right? Where even if you've, you've, you get far enough along in walking with Jesus and you've, you've been a Christian for a long time, you might eventually have heard all the scenes, right? Or heard all the stories, but how do they all fit together? Like really, how do they all fit together? You might come here on a weekend for a service and hear me or Michael or Heather or somebody talk, or Vicky talk about a story from King David, right? One weekend. And then the next you know, week, you might, you might show up and you might go to your small group a couple of days later and you might open your Bibles with your small group and read a story about Jesus. And then maybe the next day you open your daily devotional and you're reading about Adam and Eve. And, and that's great, but those things are happening hundreds of years apart from each other. Right? And how do they all fit together? How do they all fit together? It's like if, 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 we took, if you were a newer Christian and someone handed you a, a bunch of puzzle pieces and just said, here, here, these puzzle pieces are basically all the, the stories of the Bible, all the, all the parts of the, the Bible. And they said, kind of figure out how they go together. And, but they don't give you the box to know what the picture is supposed to look like. They just hand you all the puzzle pieces. Right? And then that person, turn, you turn to, that, to maybe a seasoned Christian and say, hey, can you kind of help me out here? How does this all go together? How does this all fit together? Can you give me the box? And they turn to you and say, well, nobody gave me the box either. They just gave me all the puzzle pieces too. And I've kind of started to figure out how they go together. But what if we actually had the box? Right? What if we actually had the box to look at and, and we could, then we could know as we're coming to a weekend or as we open our Bibles, where these pieces get inserted into. I think it's so important that we have this, this big picture, big idea, overarching understanding of what God is doing in his story from beginning to end, not just so that we understand the story, but so that we understand our story. Because God's story is our story. We are a part of his story. And even though the Bible is finished, it's written, there's a last page in it, excuse me, there's a last page in it, God's story is still continuing today. And he wants us to be a part of that story. And so if we don't understand how the story's going, 
then how are we gonna know what our part is to play in it? We have to understand that. And so my hope is that whether you're, you're a new Christian or you've been a, a Christian for a long time, I really hope that over the next four weeks that God really is gonna connect some dots for, for many of us, some things that maybe we've never really noticed or realized how connected or important they are to each other. And maybe you've taken this class you know, a number of years ago. Don't check out. We got some new material we're gonna be including in here and I think it'll be a good review. Um, but each week is gonna build on each other. It is gonna kind of build from one week to the next. So I would encourage you, if at all possible, if you can be here over the next four weeks, please be here as much as you can. And if you can't be here, because I know life happens, uh, then I would encourage you midweek to listen to the podcast or watch the sermon online to get caught up so you don't come the next week because you'll have missed like a thousand years. <laughs> um, but we wanna, we're gonna jump kind of into it here. But actually, before I do that, I do want to give credit where credit is due. A lot of the material that we're going to be talking about and going through, uh, it comes from a book called Biblical Meta Narrative. It's a book written by a vineyard guy, uh, the late Bill Jackson, uh, that we do sell the book on the book cart and you can buy it on Amazon as well. It's not, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's not a light read. It's not a quick read. It's very de dense and thick, but it's a really, really great resource if you want to dive deeper into what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. But Bill Jackson basically thinks of the whole Bible story from Genesis to Revelation like a play. He uses the analogy of it being like a play with four acts, four acts. Uh, act one, which we're going to talk about today, is, the, is creation, what he nicknames the Eden Project, and really covers the first beginning part of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, chapter 1 through chapter 11. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Next week though, Michael's gonna do act two, which is the story of Israel, really God's people for the rest of the world. And that covers Genesis 12 all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, all the way through Malachi. So Michael's gonna talk like an auctioneer next week. He's gonna like, um, Act three, act three is, this, is the Messiah, the story of Jesus, the true Israel. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be doing that week three. And then act four uh, is the story of the church, the part of the church, the new Israel, really covering the acts of the apostles all the way through Revelation, okay? So uh, this will feel a little bit different. It'll feel maybe a little bit more like a class than like a typical uh, sermon, you know, that you might be used to, but I think it's gonna be really, really, really good. So let's, let's kick it off with talking about act one, the beginning of the story, right? So in act one, creation, the Eden project, when you open up your Bible to the very first page, basically in the beginning, what's God doing? He's creating things, right? He's making everything actually, everything out of nothing. He's just speaking and things are forming. Genesis 1:3 says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. It goes on to say that in six days or six time periods, God made the universe and, and everything in it, everything. But, but why? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God make everything in the first place? Why would he do that? Well, the answer is to reflect his own glory in his own image, to reflect his own glory in his own image. In Genesis 1.25, God pronounces that everything that he has made in creation is good, but it's only after he makes humans in Genesis 1.32, or chapter one, verses 32, does he say that everything is now very good. Interesting. 
Interesting, why is it? Why is now everything very good? Well, if, if God is good and everything good comes from God, then the only way God can enjoy anything good is to enjoy something of himself or his reflection, a reflection of himself. And so he made creation and even more so he made humans to reflect his goodness. In English, the word for human in Hebrew uh, is the word Adam, right? So, so we as humans, as Adams, are specifically called to be his image bearers, a reflection of him. Genesis 1, um, ch- or chapter 1, verse 27 said, and so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now we are not God ourselves. We will never become gods, but we are called to be a reflection of him. And so God made us, he made us to be that, that, those image bearers, to be that reflection. And he also made a garden. He made a garden, a garden in Eden for humanity, Adam and Eve to live in. Genesis 2, 8, it says, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Now, the original garden in Eden was a place, a place for Adam and Eve and God to be together, a place where God could meet with them and dwell with them. You know, in, in the garden, this garden in Eden really was, really was kind of like the first temple. It was really like the first temple that God lived in. Long before the Israelites built the, the, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, one of the great temple uh, that, w- that existed back then for God to, to live in, God first lived in this temple, the garden, okay? And the Hebrew word for temple is the same word for palace, palace. So King God lived in this garden temple, meaning King God lived in this garden palace, and that's where he dwelled here on the earth. Now, one thing that's interesting is this garden is in a place called Eden. We often think they're the same exact thing, like the garden is called Eden, but it says that there's a garden in Eden, So you have a garden in this bigger area, Eden, surrounded by the rest of the wilderness. Okay, so you almost have like these three concentric circles, the garden, Eden, and then the rest of the wilderness. And this is gonna be really important because we're gonna see this this theme play out over and over and over throughout the whole story. We're gonna see later on that God builds a temple, the garden, our actual temple in Israel, who's meant to be a light to the rest of the world, all the people living in the wilderness who are lost. Right? Then later on, God's gonna live in us. We are gonna be the temple and we're gonna exist together as the church who is meant to be a light to the rest of the wilderness or those lost in the wilderness in the rest of the world. Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, it'll make sense, I think, over time as we keep going. But that, that, um, that'll be important. Uh, in the, this garden in Eden, it's not just a place though it's also meant to be a project. It's also meant to be a project, the Eden project, a project for Adam and Eve to care for and grow and then expand out into the wilderness. In Genesis 1.28, we see the very first blessing of God, the very first covenant of God and promise of God to mankind. But we also see the very first commandment of God where God gives Adam and Eve three assignments three jobs to do. Genesis 1, 28 says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, 
fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living creature that, that moves on the ground. So God, he blesses, he blesses them, which is a big deal. He blesses them, but then he gives them three things to do. He basically says, I want you to multiply. I want you to fill and I want you to rule. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill and I want you to rule. So multiply, what does that mean? Well, in their case, in Adam and Eve's case, that meant to have children, to make, to make other little image bearers of God, little, other little reflections of God. But later on, we'll see that's not the only way to multiply. You know, if you're not married or you can't have children, that's not the only way to multiply. Um, one of the ways that we can multiply is by making disciples. Jesus never had any biological children, and yet he was the greatest multiplier of all. He made disciples. He, made, he had spiritual children. And so, so, so we'll see that there are other ways to multiply, but, but that's the first call that they're called to do. He wants them to multiply. Second, he tells them to fill, which means to spread out, to expand this Eden project, to spread out of the garden, out of Eden, out into the wilderness, into the rest of the world. He says, I don't want you to stay in one spot. I want you to expand. And, it, and that's not just because eventually you're gonna need a little bit more elbow room, right? He's, there's a purpose for that. And that purpose for that is the third rule or the third thing, which is to rule, the third assignment. He calls them to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and everything that moves on the ground. Now, sometimes when we think of rule, we can think of like a, a tyrannical ruler, right? An oppressive ruler. Well, that's not the kind of rule we're talking about here. That's not the way God has called us to rule. He doesn't want us to do it in a selfish way. He doesn't want us to do it where we're just taking things from creation and just taking things from everybody else for our own personal gain. No, he wants us to be good stewards of it and to care for it and to nurture it. And so some might argue that there's, a, there's, a, there's an argument here that we're called to care for creation, that we're, we're called to care for the environment. Maybe not to the extreme that some might say, but, but we are called to do that. Um, but it's more than that. It's much more than that. We, we are following and, and, and ruling in a way when we, ex, when we express the authority and power that God has given us that the Holy Spirit in us has empowered us with authority and power to, to do the things that he has called us to do, to expand his, his kingdom, to, to basically, and we talk about the kingdom of God a lot in the vineyard, right? But when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the reign and the rule of God happening, meaning basically what God wants done is getting done. So, so I believe that happens when we care for creation, but I also believe that happens when we pray for the sick and we see God's reign and rule come and they get healed. I believe that happens when we visit the lonely and they feel loved. I believe that happens when we welcome the outsider or the stranger and they feel included or when we feed the hungry and they are strengthened. That's God's reign and rule is being expressed in the way he wants it expressed when those kinds of things are happening. And that is very, very much a vineyard value, a vineyard staple that we talk about all the time. And we see it right here at the very beginning of the story. Right here at the beginning, we'll see it just play through the whole meta narrative of the rest of the Bible, the rest of the story. So we see they're called to three things, multiply, fill, and rule. These three assignments that they're called to, to partner, Adam and Eve are called to partner with God in, 
to partner and being his image bearers, his, his co-regents, you could think of it like that. Basically like this hybrid of being a king priest or a queen priest, right? And when I say king priest or queen priest, what I mean is again, we're, we're called to rule the way that God would want us to rule and caring for the, his kingdom, his earth and the people in it. But we're also called to be like priests. And what does a priest do? A priest is a, is a go-between between God and creation, right? A, go be, a, a person who's an intermediary between God and the rest of the world. And so we're called to be this kind of hybrid person. And we're gonna see this play out all throughout the story as well. So in the beginning of God's story, we see how mankind is supposed to act, what they're supposed to do. But how is mankind supposed to be? How are they supposed to be? Just like God gave Adam and Eve three assignments, he didn't just want them to do it in any way they felt like it. He wanted them to do it with, with two intentions or two ways or two manners that they were called to fulfill these three assignments. And the first intention really for, God, or for the people, Adam and Eve, was to be and remain right with God. So there's supposed to be this, this vertical connection with God, right? That Adam and Eve would be in right relationship with their creator. In Genesis 3.8, it says that God went looking for Adam and Eve, uh, walking through the garden in the cool of the day. There must have been times where Adam and Eve and God went on walks together. They had conversations together. I'm sure God asked him, hey, what you working on today? right? Like, how's it going today? Like, there was a relationship between them, a, a, an intimacy between them, a connection between them, and almost like a father-child relationship, right? And there was trust and love between them originally. And that was how they were called to, to be, right with God. They were also called to be right with each other. That's the second intention, horizontal. They were called to be right with each other. Genesis 2.25 says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed meaning they had nothing to hide from each other, both physically, but also relationally. There was no selfishness. There was no lying. There was no deceit. There was no shame. There was no hurt. There was no you know, pain between them and their relationship. It was perfect. And so God's plan for mankind was for um, mankind to fulfill these three assignments, multiply, fill, and rule, but to do it in a manner where they were right with him vertically, and write with each other horizontally. And if you wanna remember that and think about that, just think about the cross, right? Vertically and horizontally. Um, but as you probably know, pretty much right as the car gets on the road, they hit a speed bump, <laughs> right? Right off the bat, by, by chapter three, um, there's already an issue. A major, if the car didn't crash, right? It's not game over, but there's this big resistance um, Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan, the devil, a fallen angel who essentially um, desired to have God's job, who said, I think I can do your job better. I want to do your job, God. And, uh, and he is trying to convince Adam and Eve to do the same thing, to be disobedient to God. And so he shows up in the form of a serpent and tempts them to not rule in a way that God wants them to rule, to be disobedient to God and to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they succumb to that temptation. They eat the fruit and they break their trust with God. And they also break their trust with each other. They blame each other. And so these two intentions are tarnished. 
they're stained, there's sin that has occurred. And there's a separation from God and also from each other. In Genesis 3, 7, it says, and then both their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. After sinning, they immediately begin hiding from each other. They try to cover up, probably in a way that didn't really work very well. I can't imagine fig leaves working very well. Um, But there's a separation between Adam and Eve, between humanity. There's also a separation between God and humanity because of that sin. There's a break in that trust. Genesis 3.23 says, and so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Adam and Eve can no longer walk in the cool of the day in the garden with God in in the garden, again, which is like his temple with him anymore. There's a separation between them and him, but it's not game over, right? It's not game over. Not all is lost. God is not caught off guard, right? This isn't gonna stop God from his plan, right? Even though Satan is trying to end God's Eden project, this, this idea of what he wants to do in the world, He's not, it's not gonna work. God has another plan, a plan to restore these two intentions of being right with him and, and the people being right with each other. And God still has a plan to use humanity to fulfill these three assignments, uh, to multiply, to fill, to rule. It's not, not game over, even though their sin has consequences. Even though those consequences include you know, sickness and pain and suffering and ultimately death, uh, it's not game over. And in Genesis 3.21, we see that God still cares for Adam and Eve. He still comes to, to their side by covering their sin in a way that's way better than fig leaves. In Genesis 3.21, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Where did these garments of skin come from? I was, there must've been, this is the evident, first evidence that we see any sort of animal sacrifice that will become common with the Israelite people in act two, where God, where this, this animal sacrifice serves as a covering of their sin. And ultimately we're gonna see that that covering becomes even ultimate and further in Jesus later on in the story, once and for all. But, but God says, not only are there consequences for our sin, there's consequences for, for Satan too, as well. This serpent that one day, one day, one of God's image bearers, his, a true king priest, a, a new Adam, a second Adam will come and crush the head of the serpent. It says this in Genesis 3.15, he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's this, this promise that the serpent will be struck this lethal blow from a descendant of Adam but that, that serpent will strike back to a lethal blow by striking his heel. And ultimately we see that in Jesus on the cross. We see that in Jesus on the cross. Now, when Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, out of the temple of God, out of his presence, what is the first thing in Genesis four that they do? What is the first thing? They multiply. They start having kids. They start having kids. They, Eve gets pregnant and they begin to have two children. So they begin, multi, or, well, they have way more than two children, but they had, they had two children. And, and even though they begin doing this, they begin um, multiplying, they don't really do the other assignments well. They don't fill, they don't rule in the way that God calls them to rule. Evil is spreading rampant. There's sin everywhere. 
So much so that one of those, those two children kills the other, right? If you know the story of Cain killing Abel. Um, but they had lots of other children besides that. But just as their numbers increased and the humanity increased, so did the, the sin. So did sin as it spreads uh, among the people. So much so that God gets upset. He gets upset that he decides to do a restart, a refresh. And he finds an, a one family, a man named Noah and his wife and his, their three sons and their wives that are living the way Adam and Eve were called to live that are living, when the rest of Adam and Eve's descendants aren't living that way, Noah was. He was living in a way where he was fulfilling those two intentions of being right with God and right with others. Genesis 6, 9, it says this, and Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. See, we see that Noah was faithful with God, right with God, and he was right with all the people around him. He was blameless among the people around him. And so God looks at Noah and, say, and basically says, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you as the new Adam. You're gonna be the new Adam. I'm gonna form a, a new bl covenantal blessing with you, Noah, and commission you and your children in almost the identical way that he calls Adam and Eve to fulfill the three assignments. In Genesis 9, 1, it says, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. We see that, that multiply, fill, that rule, those things almost repeated exactly. And Noah, he builds the ark, the famous ark that I'm sure you've heard of, right? And the floodwaters come and baptize the entire earth. You know, the word baptism just means to immerse. The whole earth is immersed in water. It's cleansed. And a new creation is born again. And we'll see that play out again future, in future acts of the Bible in different ways, but, but in similarity. And so, um, so Noah and his descendants start again. Um, they multiply, but they don't spread out. They don't fulfill that second assignment. They don't spread out. Uh, they continue to stay in one spot. They continue to stay in one spot and one place. And they come up with this plan to build a great city, a great city that has a tower to heaven called the Tower of Babel, or sometimes it's pronounced Babel. In Genesis 11, verse four, it says this. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. See, they're saying we wanna rule our way, not God's way. They're saying we don't wanna spread out. We wanna build something uh, for ourselves, a city with a tower to heaven to make a name, not for God, but to make a name for ourselves. They're basically saying, we don't wanna reflect God anymore. We wanna reflect, we wanna look in the mirror and see ourselves, right? Looking back. And they wanna do our, their own thing and they wanna stay in one spot, in one place. And so God decides to give them a little nudge to make them spread out a little bit. Genesis 11 verses six through seven says this, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So, so that's what happens. 
The people of Babel began speaking different languages. They can't understand each other. Hence, that's where we get the English word babble from. Everybody sounded to each other like they were babbling, not making any sense to each other. And, And so what do people do when they can't understand each other? when there are differences between each other, when in our brokenness, in our uncomfortableness, what do we do? We separate from people that are different from us. We tend to segregate ourselves from people that are different than us. And we spread out, we, we, we get in like groupings of, well, th- these people and we're alike, so let's get in a group with them. And that's what happened. That's what happened. So at this point in the story, in God's story, the, the humans, the Adams, right, have, have multiplied. And despite trying to resist God's assignment, assignment to spread out and to do number the second assignment, God kind of nudges them to make it happen, right? And all these different language groups pop up, which in turn form different over time, different ethnicities and different nations. And these nations with different language groups develop different customs and different cultures but God did this all on purpose. He did this all on purpose because now we're gonna see him in the next act begin kind of a divide and conquer strategy. He's divided the people up and now he's gonna go back to conquer them one by one by one. And he's gonna do that by forming one new people group, one new nation, a chosen nation with the eventual purpose of being a light to all the other nations where all the other nations would be invited to be like this group of people. And, and so we see at this point, basically screech on the brakes, right? And this is kind of the end of act one, it's kind of the end of act one. But, but as, we, as a little teaser to get into act two, we're gonna see next week that God's gonna choose one man and one woman, a man named, um, a man named Abram to be this new Adam, right? And he's gonna rename Abram Abraham, which means father of nations. He's gonna be the father of these nations, basically. And he's gonna rename this man's wife, Sarai, to Sarah, which means princess. So this couple is going to become God's new king priests or queen priests, right? And they're gonna miraculously have a son in their old age named Isaac. Then Isaac will have a son named Jacob. And God will rename Jacob and give him the name Israel. And so Israel will then have 12 sons, talk about multiplying. Uh, (laughs) He will have 12 sons and they will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And this, this nation will be a nation for all the other nations to look to and say, what, what, how are you living? What are you doing? We want to be like you. We want to do life the way you're doing life. And that's the whole goal. That's the whole plan. God's gonna take his Eden project and basically turn it in kind of to the the Israel project and use this group of people to fulfill the three assignments in a way that, and with these two intentions for the rest of the world to see. So that's kind of what's coming next. Now, if the worship team wants to start to make their way back up here, I'll kind of wrap up with this. You know, this this idea of three assignments and, and two intentions really hasn't changed today. It still holds true today. You know, and we'll see this play out as we're called to make disciples and, and to spread the kingdom of God and to, to make the, help, help 
the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God expand to the rest of the world. And we're called to be right with God and right with each other. And we're gonna see this play out um, all throughout the rest of the story, but it's also part of our story. And despite, despite Adam's and Noah's and the people of Babel's failures, even Abraham and Sarah's failures that we'll see next week, right? Despite their failures, nothing is gonna stop God from his plan. Nothing is gonna stop God from his plan. Satan's not gonna stop it. Humanity's not gonna stop it. God is, what God wants done is gonna get done. It's going to continue. God, and God is never gonna stop wanting to use us in his mission. He is always pursuing us and wanting to use us and help us be a part of it. Despite our sin, despite our failures, he looks at you and he looks at me and he looks at our, the creation of us and he says, okay, now it's very good. He, he looks at you and he, he says, You're, it's, you are very good. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. And we're gonna talk more about that in the coming weeks. Amen? All right, why don't we stand up? Well, Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.